This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chutka, a general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. The COVID pandemic has caused innumerable health complications. One complication which hasn't received a lot of attention is its effect on mental health. Since the pandemic, the incidence of mental illness has increased significantly, both in patients who have been infected as well as those suffering the social consequences of the pandemic. And this has led to mental health disorders representing a major cause of disability. What can we learn from a historical perspective as a result of previous pandemics? How does the COVID virus produce the variety of neuropsychiatric disorders commonly seen? And most importantly, how can we help our patients with their mental health disorders associated with the pandemic? We'll get answers to these questions from our guest, Dr. Teresa Rummins, a psychiatrist from the Department of Psychiatry and Psychology at the Mayo Clinic as we discuss psychiatric issues stemming from COVID. You're listening to Mayo Clinic Talks. Terry, it's nice to see you again. Thank you for joining us for this really important topic. Thank you. I don't know why we haven't covered this topic before. We've covered, I think, almost every other complication of COVID. But I mean, this one kind of hit me out of the blue. I didn't think about it, but it really makes sense. There have got to be a lot of mental health issues related to this pandemic. Let's start by having you talk about those. What are the various mental health conditions you've seen associated with this pandemic? Well, unfortunately, all mental health issues have been affected by COVID, both either directly or indirectly. You know, over the last three years, there have been, as I said, both direct, which are the biological implications, and indirect or social implications of COVID on both mental health and substance abuse. Those that have pre-existing mental health conditions, whether it's depression, anxiety, or more severe bipolar disorder or schizophrenia, actually are more predisposed to developing COVID, in fact, than somebody without these conditions. And those that even have the less severe psychiatric problems still can have lingering COVID problems, much more so than individuals who didn't have those beforehand. But COVID also will affect people from a mental health standpoint, even when they had no pre-existing mental health conditions or substance abuse issues at all beforehand. And that's what has led us to learn actually a lot about mental health that we haven't really been appreciating before. Well, talk about the seriousness of this problem. Very costly. Talk about the direct and indirect costs of this. Oh, absolutely. You know, over the years, the mental health and substance abuse problems is rising dramatically. And now one in three people will either have a mental health issue or substance abuse. So frankly, you yourself or one of your family members or a very close friend has a mental health or substance abuse issue. And if you say, oh, no, that's not true, it's because you just don't know, because it is extremely common. Even back in 2013, when they were really looking at the costs of mental health and substance abuse in terms of medical care, institutional care, loss of income, decreased work output, they found that it was higher than any other medical condition, and that includes heart disease and cancer, but it has not gotten the attention that it deserves. Since COVID-19, these costs have only risen to in the trillions of dollars. This is a worldwide program. This is not a United States of America only program. 
what we found that governments around the world are only spending one or 2% of their healthcare dollars on mental health and substance abuse problems. Half the world's population have only one psychiatrist for 200,000 people. And they have even fewer opportunities to have the psychotropic medications that are needed to treat the illnesses that develop. As a result, only of about 30% of people who have a mental health or substance abuse problem actually get help. Is this a bigger problem for those who have had pre-existing mental health disorders? I think that that's probably true, but I think that it's now affecting many more people who didn't have them even before the pandemic started, mm -hmm. but yes. Okay. Yes, so it is affecting those more. Can we learn anything from the past? There have been other major viral epidemics, pandemics, have they been associated with uh, mental health disorders as well? That's an excellent question, and, and absolutely, and we've not paid enough attention to it. You know, since the 18th century, viral illnesses have been identified as contributing to mental health issues, especially psychosis. Following the pandemic in 1918, there was a significant increase in schizophrenia at that time, which really didn't go addressed as it should have. 50 years later, as they followed these people who were ill, not the ones with psychosis, but that had had the viral illness, but had survived, they found that there was an increased percentage of those individuals that were having neuropsychiatric problems, primarily Parkinson's disease, but Parkinson's disease with depression or psychosis. So I think that the whole issue about the mechanism of mental health problems is starting to evolve as we learn more about the impact that viruses may be having on uh, mental health issues. This is really a two-pronged problem. We've got the direct impact of COVID on mental illness and then the indirect of the social consequences of dealing with the pandemic, the social isolation, the masking, so forth. Let's start by asking you to talk about the direct impact of COVID on mental illness. Is there a proposed biologic mechanism for this? Why is this happening? Right, that's an excellent question too. And I think our knowledge is uh, growing by the day and hopefully over the next decade, we'll learn a lot more than we really appreciate in the past. But what we know so far is that the viruses absolutely do impact the CNS tissue directly. As we know, it can impair the blood brain barrier and it can affect it indirectly from the cerebrovascular damage that's caused by the microthrombi from the hypercoagulability associated with COVID. But the virus itself can cause inflammation of the brain and other body organs, as we already know. And this can produce secondary uh, CNS toxicity, especially through cytokine storms activating microglia and astrocytes. This may not be a fair question because this pandemic is only three years old, but do we know the long-term consequences of this? Do these patients get better? Is this a persistent problem? Um, are they more prone to have this happen again because of the virus? We are learning day by day. I think that some people do get better and some people, unfortunately, are actually getting worse. One of my colleagues right now is actually studying the implications of COVID from a neuropsychiatric standpoint. And the studies are now starting to come out, not just from her, but from others, showing that it may lead to earlier dementing illnesses. Mm -hmm. And so honestly, probably Alzheimer's and many of the other uh, dementing illnesses are probably related to an inflammatory process that we've not that we've really not appreciated in the past. 
Yeah, and like so many other long-term complications of COVID, as you mentioned, we're learning about this day by day, month by month, Absolutely. and it's going to take a lot more time to realize and appreciate the effects that happened 10, 15 years ago. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about the indirect or social implications of this, because there certainly were a lot of changes <laughs> imposed on all of us, working from home, masking when we went out, in terms of being healthcare providers, telemedicine, social isolation, what has that done to the mental health of our population? Well, it's had huge ramifications, and I'll speak to what's recently just come out in just a second that's uh, very interesting. There have been numerous ramifications. The isolation, loneliness, We've had increase in interpersonal conflicts like domestic violence when people are just stuck at home alone and can't get out and do other things. People obviously have lost jobs and income, housing, food, support, even problems to healthcare, getting access to healthcare, getting access to medications. People have watched loved ones die, so that's been a tremendously traumatic. And just the global aspects of COVID in general have produced stress, not just for adults, but for young people that are starting to come out, whether it's young children and especially teenagers, it's really impacting greatly. And we're seeing a higher increase in suicide rates than we've ever seen before in the adolescents and 20 year olds, which is really very, very troublesome. One study that just recently came out and you may have seen this as well, they've been looking at factors for longevity, whether it's diet, exercise, et cetera, et cetera. And probably one of the most important factors that's been identified for longevity is actually good human relationships. So with COVID and people isolating and being lonely, it has very negatively impacted human relationships. And we are going to see, and we have seen increased death rate just associated with that. Let's talk a little bit about the acute mental health problems you've seen with COVID, both those with mild, moderate, and severe illness. Why don't you address that? Sure. I think with mild uh, neuropsychiatric symptoms that have occurred because of COVID, you see the headaches, the dizziness, fatigue. That's where the loss of taste and smell come in. The loss of taste and smell is a neurological event that's occurring because of COVID. With moderate illness, when you're getting a lot of the respiratory symptoms and other symptoms, the brain fog starts developing, as, which is mild cognitive impairment. And then that's when anxiety and depression really start forming. The more severe COVID symptoms, the ones that are, you see oftentimes in older people and people who have to be hospitalized, that's where we're seeing more of the delirium, the psychotic problems that happen, and then oftentimes even death, unfortunately. I think of all of those you mentioned, the, the brain fog has received the most publicity. Do we know much about that? I had some patients uh, early on who had brain fog, and some of them had it for months, and I don't have follow-up to know if how many of them had resolution of their brain fog symptoms. Do we know that? Is this a temporary thing, or is it permanent in some it's both. That's what my colleague, who's uh, one of the neuropsychiatrists, are following is people who come in saying that they have brain fog and they're having some cognitive difficulties. They're being tested right then, and then they're, they're being followed. So five, 10 years from now, we'll have much more data on what are the ramifications for these individuals. But there are some people, unfortunately, who are already being identified 
is having these symptoms actually even progress to early stages of dementia. Hmm. So this pandemic may give us some uh, information that we have no clue about right now, especially if we're going to see a lot more problems with dementia in the future. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about the long-term or the lingering neuropsychiatric symptoms related to COVID, both for those who had the direct problems from infection and those who had the indirect. Well, currently the data stands that what we see is probably about a third of the people who get COVID and are basically able to be maintained as outpatients will have lingering symptoms. And about half of the individuals who are, get severe symptoms and have to be hospitalized will have basically the uh, lingering symptoms. And what they found too is many of these individuals have reduced brain volumes that can be then associated with the memory and emotional state that they have. The lingering symptoms that have really come to the forefront are the ones that we've been talking about already. The fatigue is, the brain fog is one, but the fatigue is, a, is one that's a big one. And malaise, just general body aches and pains. But then the secondary forms are going to be the mild respiratory, chronic coughing, some breathing difficulties can also be the lingering direct symptoms from COVID. And hopefully many of these individuals don't go on to progress to further, have further medical problems, but this is yet to be found. Mm -hmm. I would think that as this pandemic unfolds in front of us, we would be having less indirect issues since we don't tend to be in isolation anymore. And uh, many of those restrictions have been relaxed. Some of the newer strains seem to be less virulent, but maybe more contagious. Do you think you're seeing as many mental health problems in those who have recently acquired this virus versus those in the initial pandemic? That is a very good question, and I don't know that I've got the answer to that. I think that I'm seeing a lot of individuals who've had COVID last year, in 2022, mm -hmm. and have lingering symptoms. But of course, I'm seeing the individuals who have been identified with problems that aren't coming to us. How that relates to the overall number of individuals who have had COVID is unclear. Mm -hmm. I do know that the individuals who have been vaccinated have a lot less symptoms. They still get symptoms but the severity of the symptoms is less for those that have been vaccinated. Is, are you talking about the mental health symptoms or just- Those symptoms? two. Okay. Mm -hmm. Those right. two, especially the severe, the severe brain fog. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, let's change directions just a little bit. Talk a little bit about the effect that COVID has had on alcohol and other substance abuse. The biggest impact that COVID's had on alcohol problems is probably more associated with what we call the indirect or the social implications. When people are sitting around at home and have nothing to do, they start opening the bottle and, and drinking a lot. Even in March of 2020, they found that the alcohol sales had increased nationally from March of 2019 by 54%. And especially online sales where people were ordering and having it delivered at home increased by 262%. So the alcohol issues have skyrocketed. And you're reading almost every day about um, the opioid epidemic. And that too has continued to increase dramatically. There were 90,000 overdose deaths in 2019, and there were 100,000 overdose deaths just last year. This continues to increase. 
with fentanyl, but methamphetamine is now joining the crowd with this too. So I think that all of the drug problems, including marijuana, are right up there and increasing dramatically since COVID came into being. Boy, those statistics are frightening. Yes. So, so what's the uh, societal impact of all this? That is a very tough question because we've had problems even before COVID started. And back in 2016, when we look at the data that was even kind of ignored then, nearly 50% of the homeless had major mental health or substance abuse problems. Now in 2020, we're finding it's somewhere between 60 and 70% of the homeless are dealing with mental illness and or substance abuse problems. With the downfall of all of the state psychiatric hospitals, which was a huge mistake, these individuals are either going to the streets or now they're going into the jails. So our jails and prison systems have been housing those with mental illness and substance abuse instead of mental health hospitals where they could get the help that they need. The scariest part is the increasing number of juveniles that are getting into problems because in the last three years because of COVID and the drug issues. And 70% of the youth in the juvenile health system have either mental health or substance abuse problems. So this is, and it's rising significantly as we speak because there's not enough mental health care providers to deal with the issues at hand. Right. Well, you've outlined the problem nicely, and it's obvious we don't even know all the implications of this. It's going to take much more time, but it does appear that COVID is going to remain with us. So how do we manage the impact of this with, you know, a shortage of mental health care workers? How are we going to manage? Excellent question. It's going to take all of us. You know, I think the first thing that has to happen is, Daryl, what you're doing today, and that's trying to highlight this, the information needs to get out to everyone, whether, you know, it's in the Chamber of Commerce, whether it's in the school system, whether it's in our faith-based organizations, not just the, the healthcare system, but we have to acknowledge that there's a problem. Then we have to educate people about the facts, not make up things that we hear all the time about mental health and substance abuse. And then we've got to involve everyone. We know that mental health care providers alone can't do it. The medical system period can't do it. The legal system can't do it. The police force can't do it. Neither can the, the attorneys. It's going to take the school systems. It's going to take all of everyone, the faith-based communities, other community groups, everybody to start looking that this is a major problem that we all face and that we all need to work together. And this is just like every other medical problem. It's just the most common one and the most problematic one right now. And this isn't because you're a bad person or you've got some a problem that you should just pull yourself up by your own bootstraps any more than you'd say that to somebody who has rheumatoid arthritis or diabetes. Yeah. And to make the problem worse, I think society and the population is getting tired of hearing about COVID. They're tired of masking. They're tired of social distancing. And that's going to result in more infections in the future. We're not getting the near number of uh, patients vaccinated as we did in the past. So this may become a bigger problem than we even have now. Yeah, that's a very good point because it may be other infections that start coming, yeah. coming our way. Well, well, Terry, you've given us some really eye-opening uh, information. Can you summarize our discussion by giving maybe two or three key points on the impact of COVID on mental health? 
COVID has really impacted us both directly and indirectly by increasing the number of mental health care problems and substance abuse problems. If COVID hasn't taught us anything, it's taught us that probably most of the major mental health care problems are a result of inflammation, whether it's from a virus, whether it's something else in our environment that we're not aware of. It's not just a, you know, a social issue or a genetic issue. It's probably an inflammatory process that develops within the brain and that we have to recognize it and try and start dealing with it. And I think that, as I mentioned just a minute ago, that for us to be able to deal with it, it's going to take all of us to work together to try and, and overcome this problem. We've been discussing psychiatric issues stemming from COVID with Dr. Teresa Rummins from the Department of Psychiatry and Psychology at the Mayo Clinic. Terry, thank you for sharing your time with us and your expertise as well. Thank you. You can now listen to over 100 different medical topics developed for primary care providers on Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts. Find them at ce.mayo.edu or your favorite podcasting app. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts, please follow us. Stay healthy and see you next week.